we're going to go ahead and start a new series today talking about the, the book of Song of Solomon. The series is called Engaging the Bridegroom in Song of Solomon. And uh, we want to take several weeks, I don't know, four to six weeks on this book, Song of Solomon. It's really a, an amazing book. And uh, today I just want to give an introductory thought as to why we need to study this book, why any believer needs to study the, the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, I understand that uh, for a lot of people, Song of Solomon is that part in your Bible where the pages are still stuck together. I get it. Uh, I would say for myself, 10 years ago, uh, the last thing I thought I would ever do would be teaching, you know, just over, to probably about 12 years ago now, would be teaching on Song of Solomon. It was just one of those, you know, kind of weird books that only weird people read and um, far too lovey-dovey for me. And, uh, I mean, the, you know, the second verse starts off with, let him kiss me. It just couldn't be about me. And so um, I remember, though, um, how this book radically impacted my life and has continued to impact me uh, for the last 12 years. And so I want to share my testimony a little bit about what happened to me in engaging with Jesus through the book of Song of Solomon. And then I want to lay out for us five, five reasons to study uh, this book. I don't think the book, I know it's not just for artsy people or for you know, super you know, mushy-hearted people. I believe the book is in the scripture at a very critical place because it's the story of the heart of our God. And if we miss who he is in Song of Solomon, we miss a massive piece of the story. Um, you, you have to get it that the Song of Solomon falls between the books of wisdom and the books of prophecy. So what's between wisdom and prophecy? Romance. So between the practical and the long-term vision is romance. What's holding the story of Scripture together is the romance. This story that the entirety of creation is a love story. It's a love story. And so Song of Solomon falls right in there. And uh, for me, I'll tell you my, my testimony. It was uh, 2002. I, uh, was, I had been in ministry full-time for... Uh, eight years at that time, and I, I had seen a lot of good things in ministry, seen a lot of God do a lot of good stuff, but I uh, was really working super hard and striving a lot and didn't even realize it, just didn't realize how much uh, emotional energy and really striving, um, in addition to the work of the Lord that was happening, just striving in my own flesh and my own strength was happening in me. And I found myself at, in, at the end of 2002 um, just really worn out, just burned out in a lot of ways, tired. And, um, you know, just in my mind, just thought, well, that's just how it is. You know, you just go through those seasons where you just, you know, you just hit valleys and you burn out and then you have to just sort of regroup and, you know, hopefully God will breathe on you again and you'll come back up and then you just, you know, run till you fall over again and kind of thing. And I was, I was just in that kind of a cycle, had been for a few years, where I would just go really, really hard and just get just almost just completely burned out and then sort of just, 
take a breather and come back up and, and you know, go really, really hard and then just burn out again. And so in 2002, that's where I was. I was just tired. I had been working really hard in ministry. We'd seen a lot of good things, but as it is when you strive, you can't see the good things. You think there's always something better that equals success when you measure yourself by your accomplishments. You know what I'm talking about? And so I was uh, always thinking that we weren't successful in what we were doing because I was uh, always measuring the accomplishments by others who had done more and who had seen more. And I just thought, you know, we just got to do more. We just got to do more. And so I was very much working for approval, working for God's approval, working for man's approval. And, uh, and just found myself tired, real tired. And, you know, thought, hey, you know, maybe I could just go get another job, just go do something else. Um, you know, surely I could excel in other areas. I don't have to just, you know, wear myself out like this in ministry. Well, it was about that time uh, I, I began to hear just a little bit about um, the intimacy message. Now, I preached probably three or four times a week for the previous eight years, had preached on the love of God quite a bit. Um, not was one of my main messages, but had preached it, uh, you know, enough. And, um, but there was a, a different um, sound that I was hearing as I began to first hear the intimacy message. I was hearing about uh, the emotions of God. The emotions of God. And I thought, God has emotions? You mean it's not just he loves you because he has to, because he's God? You know, like there's, there's actually things in his heart. There's emotions and desires. and Huh, that's interesting. And I remember going to a conference and they were talking about intimacy with God. And uh, they, they were just, you know, referencing the Song of Solomon for, for a few days. But they weren't preaching out of it. They were just referencing intimacy with God throughout the preaching. And then they would reference Song of Solomon occasionally. And I remember this happening to me that the last day of the conference, uh, the speaker got up and he said, Okay, we're going to preach on the Song of Solomon today. And I remember just going, Sweet, I can't wait to hear this. And it was right there that I realized something was happening to me. Because the, the, the idea that I would be excited about hearing about Song of Solomon, I knew something was changing on the inside. That was just not me at all. And uh, as, as the messages came forth and they began to break down the heart of God as it's depicted in the Song of Solomon, something began to happen inside me. And I realized I was encountering the love of God in a way that I'd never encountered before. Uh, I'd been saved, um, I think at that point, like 13 years or something. But all of a sudden, I'm hearing about the love of God through the lens of what we call the bridal paradigm, which is just the, the idea that God is a bridegroom God. He calls himself a bridegroom in Scripture multiple times. And so I'm hearing about God's love through the lens of the fact that he is a bridegroom God and we, his people, are his bride, and I'm individually, I'm part of that. I'm his bride. And when I began to encounter that truth, something began to shift on the inside of me. And there were a couple simple truths about the love of God that came forth from uh, the teachings in Song of Solomon that absolutely it it reoriented my individual emotional chemistry. And I can remember, it was um, probably two years after that, 
having a conversation with a, a pastor friend of mine. Been in, he'd been in ministry 20, 20 plus years at this time. And he said, you know, I haven't uh, seen what's happened to you, I don't think, ever in ministry. I go, well, what, what do you mean? He said, well, I've counseled people. And, you know, you can get people to change their actions. He goes, you can even get them to change their, their, their attitude. He goes, but your whole personality has changed. I go, well, what do you mean? He goes, you got, he goes, you got tender. Your heart got tender. He goes, I've watched you, you know, for a long time. He goes, your heart is different. I go, really? He goes, yeah, you're obviously different to me. I goes, good, bad? He goes, no, it's good. He goes, what happened to you? And I go, and I'm racking my brain like, what's he talking about? And I just realized I, it was love. I, go, I fell in love. I fell in love with God. And it changed me on the inside. He goes, well, I've never seen that happen to anybody. Your personality is different. And it was that season in 2002 where I kind of hit rock bottom. And I just, all I had to do was, I, I had to find God. I mean, all I, all, all I could think of do was like, God, help me out of this. Well, he helped me out by introducing me to his emotions, introducing me to his love, and opening up the truth of who he is through the book of Song of Solomon, oddly enough, which would have been the last place I would have looked for him in the scripture. Give me something better. Give me some, come on, give me some hard, something tough, something Romans, or give me some New Testament epistles. Give me the Gospels, anything. Give me the book of Revelation, any of it. And God encountered me through the book of Song of Solomon. Now, over the years, uh, it's become a hobby for me just to go back and study Song of Solomon. In fact, when I'm done with whatever study I'm on, if I, if I can't get a clear direction from the Lord, I basically just always go back and read Song of Solomon. I just, I just do. I just go back to it and allow the Lord just to breathe on me fresh from the words here. But uh, 12 years later, um, I can say definitively this is an anchor book for me personally and for the, the way that I view the entirety of Scripture, I'm pretty clear that the Lord puts Song of Solomon in the Bible to explain to us the story of the Scripture and the story of our individual journey with God. That's how important this book is. And so I find for myself personally, when I am looking at life through the lens of what's laid out in Song of Solomon, I'm much more hopeful, I'm much more tender, I'm much more satisfied in my soul, uh, I'm much more buoyant in heart when things are difficult. But when, I'm, when I lose this lens a little bit, when I just kind of goes to the back burner, uh, in difficulty and challenges, things look much different, I'm very short-sighted, I don't have perspective, uh, I see things in a, in a much darker way. And so for me, uh, I recognize that Song of Solomon, it's critical as it relates to understanding God's actions in our lives. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but what I want to do is go ahead and transition into five reasons why we need to study this book. I'm not going to give a lot of depth on the book today, and I'm going to do my best to get us through most of it in the next you know, four or six weeks. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating study. We, when we teach it in our classes, it takes about 12 hours uh, to teach, and it's like you're flying the whole time to get the 12 hours out. So we're going to condense it for our purposes in our encounter services. 
a bit, and then I would just encourage you, if you want more, uh, next time we offer it in our school of ministry, go ahead and take the class. But uh, let's go ahead and take a look at this outline. Five reasons the Song of Songs is a critical study for believers. Okay, number one, it's the song of all songs. It's critical because it's the best, most important song there is. It's greater than any song ever written, greater than all of the psalms and hymns in Scripture. And so if someone were say, to say to you, so what are you studying? What are you guys, what's your, you know, what, what's your pastor teaching on or whatever? And you go, Song of Solomon. They go, wow, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Well, actually, no, it's not weird at all. It's, it's a greater song than any of the psalms. It's a more important, more revelatory, deeper song than any of the book of Psalms. So if it was like somebody studying the book of Psalms, they'd say, oh, that's normal, Song of Solomon. Oh, you're a little weird. No, this book is identified as, as the greatest song that's ever written, the song of all songs. Think that through for a moment. Now, in the scripture, we find... In Revelation 15, they're singing the song of the Lamb. And I just wonder, I go, so what are they actually singing? If you've got the song that's the song of Jesus, song of the Lamb, and then you have the song of Solomon, which is the song of all songs, seems likely, it just seems likely that you're not going to trump the song of the Lamb. So it's likely that the song of the Lamb equals the song of songs. It's likely to me that on the sea of glass, Revelation 15, there are martyrs singing before the throne and they're singing passages out of the Song of Songs. Think about that for a minute. That's how central to the story of Christianity that this book is. If you've never done a study on it, if you've never uh, taken time in it, I would really... Uh, encourage you you must you must it's the most important song that's ever written you've studied the psalms you've studied other passages in scripture that are songs why not study the most important one it's that critical so the song of songs is just that it's the song of all songs it's the most important one therefore it gets it gets uh, high up on the list in terms of what we should study. All right, secondly, it's the key book that depicts the bridal relationship between God and his people. Now, this is a massive truth in Scripture, that God is a bridegroom God. And here's the thing, if that truth is in the, yeah, I kind of know that zone for you, then I guarantee you don't know it. Because the idea that God gives himself this title, bridegroom, that, I mean, that thought alone changes everything in terms of the way that he operates, the way he acts, the way he thinks and feels towards his bride. When he calls himself bridegroom, all of a sudden he's giving definition to himself in a certain way that calls us to orient to the truth of his nature. 
When he says, I'm a bridegroom, he's speaking of himself in a certain way that requires us then to reorient the way we think of him. We have to see him through that lens. If we see him through a different lens, then we've misunderstood who he is. Now, he depicts himself in multiple ways in the scripture, but he calls himself specifically bridegroom. And then I want to just draw out this other portion. So let's look at these two verses here. Isaiah 54, verse 5. Here he says it. Your maker is your husband. Your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The redeemer. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Your maker is your husband. Now I know right there, all the dudes go, that's nice. That's really nice. I'm not trying to be his bride. Um, Got another verse for the men, you know. No, this is the verse for the men. This is the verse for the men, I promise you. As much, you know, the guys that can sign that verse go, that's for the women's ministry. Just keep it on over there. Song of Solomon and all those lovey-dovey husband verses. You can just keep them on over there. Give us some warrior king verses. I will tell you, you don't get who he is as a warrior king unless you understand him as a bridegroom. You don't get it. You will, you will size him up in a certain way with you know, fierceness and, and wrath, and you will not have the appropriate lens on who he is as a fierce God if you, if you deduct who he is as a bridegroom God. Let me tell you a story. I, uh, when I was living in Kansas City, we didn't live in the most savory neighborhood. There was multiple times we came home and the police were visiting different people on our street. And uh, I remember one time we drive we drove in the we drive in our um, our uh, driveway there, and some of the some of the kids in the neighborhood are there, and they are. Um, you know, they're just playing. We got our windows down. It's a nice day. I, remember, I guess it was spring and it was just nice. We just drove up the driveway. And um, this little kid <laughs> makes this comment to my wife of a sexual nature. He's like eight or nine years old. And he said something bad about my wife. She's in the passenger seat. I'm in the driver's seat. And, you know, it's one of those moments where you feel everything just, just go to 10. I'm like, I did not. Just hear that. I mean, I, I felt the heat rise. And uh, if I was a thermometer, it was one of those thermometers just goes poof through the roof, right? So we pull in, park the car. I get out of the car. By the time I get out, they've all scattered. Everybody's gone. You know, as far as the kids are concerned, it didn't happen. They're all poof, gone. So uh, I find one kid and I say, hey, where's that guy live? And he points me to the house. And so it's uh, directly across uh, our, our cul-de-sac. So I'm like, I'm just steamed. I'm like, I'm going to make this kid apologize to my wife. This is not going to happen like this. And I go and I get about halfway across the uh, cul-de-sac and out of the door comes, it's, it's not his dad, it's his, it's his mom's boyfriend, but he's about six foot four, <laughs> 250. And he's walking with a purpose. He's coming at me. I mean, he's like full striding at me. 
And I'm just mad. So I'm, yes, me too. I'm coming too. <laughs> and, uh, and we meet out there in the middle of the cul-de-sac. I walk up to him. I look up at him. And I said, and he said, can I help you with something? And I said, yes, you can. <laughs> and I'm probably, you know, three seconds from getting pounded into a pulp right here. And he said, and, and I said, yes, you can. I said, you need to make uh, that boy apologize to my wife. And he said, well, why? And I said, he said this. And I repeated to him what he said. And I said, and you need to make him apologize. And he went, I'll do that right now. I'm going to go get him right here. And, and he turns around and makes a beeline back to the house to go get the boy to apologize to my wife. And it wasn't until later I thought, man, that guy could have just killed me. I mean, he could have just one hit. Poof. And it would have been over, you know. And I was like, what was going on inside of me uh, to, to make me so dumb? <laughs> you know, love is, love is a crazy thing. And, uh, and I realized that there was a heat of the moment kind of passion that exploded in my heart to protect my wife uh, that caused me to throw caution to the wind and go out there and, you know, I'm five foot eight on a good day with good hair gel, you know. I mean, there's just no way I'm going to win this. And, uh, and uh, I'm like, what in the world was going on? And it was that explosion of passion on the inside of me because of the desire to love and defend my wife. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, and that's how I am. When you see me in judgment and when you see me in wrath, I'm a bridegroom God who wants to defend the honor of my bride. And I thought, oh my goodness. This is not the sweet little message for the women's ministry and just, you know, or for the few, you know, artsy people over on the side. This is the message to understand the heart of our God. Our maker is our husband in every sense of the word. And he is jealous and zealous for us with a fiery love that burns in passionate zeal. And man, beginning to comprehend the truth of who he is requires us to see him as a bridegroom so that we can put in perspective his activities. Do you understand that point? It requires us to see him as a husband when we look at him as a judge. we got to see the, the burning heart of a bridegroom God, a, a jealous husband who, is, who has been defrauded, who would, who would throw himself into harm's way, all for the honor and dignity of his bride. And so that's Jesus. When I see Jesus on the cross, I see a husband willing to do anything for me. And when I see him coming back with fiery eyes of vengeance to redeem and to, to stand up for his bride, to vindicate in vengeance, when I see that, I go, he's a, he's a man in love. He's a bridegroom God. I don't see him as this crazed maniac. I see him as a, a, uh, a, a, a lovesick God who's full of fire and passion. He's violent in love. 
So Isaiah 54, verse 5, we get this idea. He, our, our maker is our husband. And that idea is it's, it's spoken about through the Old Testament prophets and multiple times. Jeremiah describes this. Hosea describes it in detail. Moses talks about it um, in describing what happened with the children of Israel at Sinai. Jeremiah references it, speaking of it as the betrothal. It was a betrothal when Israel came out to meet God at Sinai. God was always thinking in this view. Think about the terms in the Old Testament. He calls uh, spiritual idolatry, he calls it what? Adultery, harlotry. Why? Because God is thinking as a bridegroom. You catch that? you got to see him that way. If you don't see him that way, you've misunderstood what he's doing. We see it through Hosea, we see it in Jeremiah, we see it in multiple places. Ezekiel, he describes himself as a defrauded husband. And so his dealings with Israel are as a man who has been defrauded by a bride who's gone astray after other lovers. That ends up being the key story of the Old Testament. His dealings with, with Israel are chiefly from that lens. Now, look at this with that in mind. Because we're trying to comprehend this, this idea about him as a, as a bridegroom God. And, and, and Song of Solomon is going to break down for us the, the, the clear points of that bridal relationship. But look at this. Revelation 19. This is a critical thought. <clears throat> we're on our way to a wedding. Revelation 19 gives us that. But I want you to see the, the, the power of this mystery. The idea that we're heading to a wedding where we're going to marry deity, and, and, and chiefly I want you to see the impact it has on uh, John the Apostle. Look at this. Verse 5, Revelation 19. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. There's a day coming for you and I, beloved. It's called the day of the marriage of the Lamb. He calls it the day of the gladness of his heart. The marriage of the lamb is coming. It's the day of the ready bride. Listen, I know. I look at myself in the mirror too. And I look at us as a people and I go, God, there's a lot of work. It's got to go on here. Until we are a comparable bride for your son. I mean, oh, Jesus, help. He goes, I've got the help. It's coming. Don't worry. I've got grace for this. I'm not even concerned. He goes, I'm thinking about the day of the gladness of my heart. What was the joy set before him? It was the wedding day. The joy set before him as he's going to the cross, he's thinking about the wedding day. It's you and I being joined forever in intimacy with God. But here's the point. Look at this. Verse 8. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. This is John the Apostle falling down at the feet of an angel. You're not supposed to do that. Just side note. 
Worshiping angels is no go. That's no good. All right? In case you're wondering, that's not what you do. He says, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus, spirit of prophecy. My point is this. The revelation of the ready bride, the revelation of the marriage of the lamb, and that God has called all of us into eternal union with him through marriage, the revelation of the bridegroom God and all of his activity come to fruition with a ready bride getting ready to marry Jesus. John the apostle is so overwhelmed, he falls down and begins to worship an angel. Just at the message of it. It is such an overwhelming sight for him to digest. He can't even function. He loses his senses for a moment and falls down and begins to worship an angel. This truth is towering, beloved. This is our future. This is our destiny. I love to say it this way. If you're not at a wedding, it's not over yet. Whatever you're going through. If you're not at a wedding, the story's not over. In fact, the wedding isn't the end of it either. The wedding's the beginning. Praise God. But that concept, humanity joined with divinity forever, and John the Apostle falls flat and begins to worship. It's so overwhelming. He's got to worship, and he just begins to worship an angel. Like, John, come back to me, brother. You don't worship angels. And the angel goes, don't do that, man. I don't want to get in trouble. Because some guy did that before. He got bad. It was bad for him. You know, Lucifer's not good. He goes, I'm on the good guy team. Don't worship me. Worship God. He goes, I'm with you on the same team. We're worshiping one God. The point is this. It's such a, a, I mean, just a cataclysmic, cataclysmic truth. Humanity joined with divinity and the operation of God in all things to bring a people like you and me to maturity with all of our challenges, our gray areas, all of our issues. He's going to bring us to maturity and love and make us a comparable partner for Jesus. (laughs) This is where we're going, gang. Song of Solomon depicts the journey. That's why we have to get our minds around it. Okay, number three. Song of Solomon describes God's emotions more vividly than any other book in the scripture. So the theme of God's desire for his bride, it's a repetitive theme throughout the book. If you've struggled with understanding God's emotions toward you. You must, you must make Song of Solomon your habit. You have to. Because we see the emotions of God more crystal clear in the book of Song of Solomon toward immature believers than in any other place in the scripture. And it's repetitive, it's continuous. Over and over and over, he says again and again and again how he thinks and how he feels. We get his emotions on display, and it's, it's, it's just so densely packed. It's eight chapters, 
and, I mean, major portions of the way that God thinks about you and I. That's a critical, critical truth. If your heart gets um, condemned, if you find yourself under the weight of condemnation uh, because you think God is angry, you think he's uh, negative in his approach towards you, this is a critical study for you. You've got to give yourself to this study because it will change the way that you view God's emotions. Fourth, it gives us clear understanding of God's attitude and approach toward his people. See, it takes God, and number three, it's taking God out of this stoic mentality that many people have about God and putting him into this this place of, of fiery and vibrant emotions. Four, the, the point of number four is it's taking God out of this negative and angry attitude towards his people and helping us to understand that his approach towards us is with tenderness and love. His continual approach towards his people is with tenderness and love. You go, well, what about discipline? Discipline is love. One of the, one of the key misunderstandings about God People think he disciplines in anger. God never disciplines in anger. He does not discipline his children in anger. I'm not saying there's not anger in God, but I'm telling you, when he's disciplining his children, he's doing it for love, and he sows discipline in peace. Hello. We still all in the same room? He sows discipline to his children in peace. And he disciplines his own because of love. His interactions with us as his beloved, as his bride, it's in love. Everything he does is in love and his approach is always in tenderness. Throughout the Song of Solomon, and I'll give us the number of times in, in you know, a, a, a message in the future and one of the, the ones that we unpack. It's, it's virtually every single time he, he speaks to the maiden. Virtually every single time he speaks to, to the bride in Song of Solomon. He says two things and then he'll say other things. But he always says the same two things. He always says, you're beautiful and I love you. No matter what the message is. Every time. I mean, virtually every time. You're beautiful and I love you. See, the way that this impacted me was this. I realized that for a long time, when I thought I was hearing the voice of God, I was hearing it with a different lens. I was hearing it with a lens of like negativity, like, you're not doing well. You need to do better. I don't like how that is. Like, I I was hearing God frustrated and angry. And if you hear God frustrated and angry, your approach to him will be completely different than if you hear him tender and in love. And throughout the Song of Solomon, no matter what status of life she's in, when she's burned out, when she's immature, when she's in the flesh, when she's in sin, when she, you know, when she, no matter where she's at, when she's seeking him, no matter where she's at, in the good and the bad, his approach to her is exactly the same. He says, you're beautiful and I love you. Like that truth is a critical truth for you to get right here. 
No matter where you're at, no matter how you're doing, no matter if you're, I mean, just stumbling and bumbling, making bad decisions, even in sin, if you're his, his, his message to you is this, I love you and you look good to me. He, and, and you go, how could that be? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mess. He goes, I see you not for what you are doing. I see you through the lens of the, the cross and I see you for who you are going to be. You're beautiful to me. I see the sincere yes on the inside. You're beautiful. And I love you. Get up out of that mess. Let me tell you something. Rules and legalism and a stern face and a mean look from God, it never called anybody out of sin. It put them under condemnation, maybe. Maybe it put them on a leash. Maybe they even changed their actions, but they stayed under the specter of negative and thinking God was being you know, angry toward them. I'll tell you what, holiness was never supposed to be handcuffs. Holiness was supposed to be freedom in love. Holiness is as a response to seeing the God who's radically in love with you, who sees you in your weakness, and he says, you look good to me. And though you're weak, he says, I love you anyway. I love you in the midst of your weakness. I love you in your darkness. I love you in your immaturity. I love you in your brokenness. No matter how it's going for you, no matter how the the decisions you make are impacting you in a negative way, the sincere yes on the inside, he says, I see your yes and I love you. You're beautiful to me. That's a critical thought. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in that place of just going, man, I am just blowing it. I'm just, I'm a wreck. Man, that was a bad move. What a dumb bonehead move I just made. And, and, I'll, and I'll start beating myself up. And the Lord will go, why are you saying that? I'll go, Lord, I'm a bonehead. He goes, I like boneheads. What do you mean you like boneheads? He goes, I like you. He goes, I'm not surprised by your weakness. God, I'm just, I'm a wreck. He goes, you look good to me. What do you mean I look good to you? Do you realize how many people don't even care if they're a wreck? Do you realize how many people don't even care about their heart towards me? Because the idea that it bothers you even in the least that you've sinned against me, he goes, oh, I like that. I like your heart. I like the yes on the inside. It's beautiful to me. I like to say it this way. If you boil down the number of believers in the earth to 10 people, and you put those 10 in, the, in, in a room, and all 6.5 billion rep, are represented in 10, out of 10, about one believes in Jesus, loves Jesus, has said yes to Jesus. And so it's like this. The 10 are in a room. They're all facing one, one direction. Jesus walks in. Only one person would turn with a heart that says, I love you. Now, put yourself in that position. Jesus walks in the room. There's 10. Nine turn their backs. One turns towards him. You're the one. Do you think when his eyes meet you, he's going, you should be doing better? No, when his eyes meet yours, he's saying, I love you. Understand my love for you. 
whatever your immaturity is, whatever your darkness is, he goes, catch this. I'm burning in love for you. It'll bring you right out of it. You got to understand who he is. He's a bridegroom God who's deeply, radically in love with his people. The constant message that he has for his bride through the book of Song of Solomon is this. You're beautiful. And I love you. We like to say, you look good and I like you. I can deal with a God who says, you look good and I like you. And I had to realize that some of that lens that I was hearing God's voice through was a lens of condemnation and negativity. I was hearing him as a God who's mostly angry. And I had to recognize he's not that God. He's a God that looks at me in my weakness. And even in my weakness, he says, I see the sincere yes in your heart. And it's beautiful to me. But I go, God, I'm broken down, weak man. I make mistakes like crazy. He goes, I like you. How could you like me? I'm weak. He goes, all there is is weak people. All there is is weak people. That's all there is, gang. You get that, right? There's only weak, broken people. I don't care who you think the super Christian guy is. He's not. He's a weak, broken dude or dudette operating under grace. And whatever has has gone well is as a product of grace and an agreement with grace. And it's the grace of God. Because at the end of the day, everything is going to be to the praise of the glory of his grace. Weak and broken people living with an amazing God, empowering us by grace to make good choices. And when we do, we make good choices by grace. I go, God, how could you like somebody weak and broken like me? He says, because everybody's weak and broken. That's all, that's, that's all there is. I, that's what I like. I like weak and broken people. You get that? And he looks at you and says, you look good and I like you. You look good and I like you. If the way that you're hearing God is not through that lens of you look good and, and I like you, I promise you, you're not hearing his heart for you properly. He is a bridegroom God. Fifth. The book of Song of Solomon, it's a part of the journey of every believer. Now what we have in Song of Solomon is this. We have a story that plays out between this maiden who becomes a bride and this bridegroom king, this glorious bridegroom king. And he essentially he rescues the maiden out of the muck and mire. It's the same story we love. It's Cinderella, it's Snow White, it's all those stories all in one. It's Braveheart. Every one of the, every one of the stories we like, it's the same story. It's the story of the gospel. I love this, uh, this uh, there's this musical by a guy by the name of Stephen Sondheim called Into the Woods. And it's, it's essentially, it's the, the, it's the forerunner to Shrek. You know, Shrek, all the different guys from all the different cartoons end up in the, in the woods together. Well, Sondheim did it first. And you have all these different stories all showing up in the woods together, all the different characters, and they all interrelate into each other's story. And what the point of it is, is this, that all the stories are the same. Have you ever noticed how we love to tell the same story over and over and over? We tell the story of the, the generous king who rescues the, the, the poverty-stricken maiden, right? We, we love to tell Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, Cinderella, they're all the same. Isn't that the weirdest thing? Same story. 
We love the Cinderella. We love this, this, uh, you know, this broken down, poverty stricken little step girl under the demonic stepmother. Right? And the Holy Spirit fairy godmother comes and makes her beautiful. Glory to God. And she ends up, right? She ends up fitting the glass slipper, man. At the end, it, it really does work out. Trials and trips, she's in and out. She's, well, one minute, she's under slavery in the yoke of bondage, right? Holy Spirit comes in, anoints her. Next thing you know, she's engaged in encountering the bridegroom. Next thing you know, it looks like it's going to be taken away from her. But no, it's her. She fits the slipper. Why do we love that story? It's our story. It's our story. The dudes are like, yeah, I don't know, Cinderella. Okay, fine, Braveheart. (laughs) Braveheart, we love the story. The wicked king puts into effect laws that defraud the man's wife. And the entirety of the story, he's fighting for the honor of his woman. He's, He's like, come at me, bro. I mean, he's like after the justice for his wife. Why do we like that story? Because it's Jesus who's coming back to vindicate his bride. Hallelujah. Song of Solomon is the story. It tells us that story. The poverty-stricken girl who's completely burned out, poverty-stricken, her own darkness is drowning her, And some reason, some reason, who knows why, the king passes by and he catches her eye. And when she sees him, she's in love with him. But the shock of it is, he's in love with her too. And the story of Song of Solomon is her her through through times of disobedience, through times of of, fascination and love, through times of separation, but ultimately, through times of abuse, but ultimately, coming to maturity. The reason why you and I need to study Song of Solomon is because the story of our walk with Jesus is unpacked in Song of Solomon in a bunch of different ways. And it's not necessarily how our lives go chronologically. It could be. But at different seasons of your life, you'll find yourself in different places that relate to the book. Sometimes you find yourself soaring in love with Jesus. Sometimes you find yourself separated from Jesus and you can't figure out why. Sometimes you find yourself under under abuse and you don't know why he's letting you go through that. And difficulty and challenge and, and, and persecution and opposition. We find it, the, the maiden in Song of Solomon, it looks like just when she's really stepping into maturity, everybody around her begins to, to speak negatively about her. You know, half the crowd likes her and then half the crowd, ugh. Rejection at the hands of men, abuse at the hands of leadership, all sorts of things. Times of divine discipline, it's all in there. So finally at the end, she emerges and she's leaning on her beloved. And you can't tell who she is anymore because she's been transformed. That's us, gang. That's the story. That's the journey we're on. We're on a journey to be transformed into the image of love. You gotta get this. We're gonna take some weeks. We're just gonna go into this. We're gonna, we're gonna walk through it. I know it's got figurative language in it. We're just gonna get past that. You know, I'm going to help you. All the guys, I'm, not, I'm really going to help you. I promise. 
You're not going to have to go out of here and, you know, start arranging flower bouquets as your hobby. I mean, if that is your hobby, good for you. But if that's not your hobby, then you won't have to take that on as your hobby is my point. Flip over. Let me just show you this, just a little, this little, I'm just giving you a little resource. I put together this simple outline. Now, we'll walk through a lot of the figurative language and things like that in the book. The book is an allegory, which means it just, it just has figurative language that represents biblical truths. That's, what, that's all it is. It's a, it's a story that represents biblical truths. The doctrines that we pull from the Song of Solomon are all established in the New Testament. We're not going to create new doctrines out of an allegory. But here's what we find. If you, can, if, you, if you have the outline, you can kind of walk through the different uh, seasons of her life. I've broken it down by chapters. And, and I've just given you a couple thoughts per section of verses. I put this in your hands so that you could go away from here. Read through the book. You have an outline now. You can kind of get your mind around it. If you've never looked at it before, if you looked at it before, this is a good refresher. And then that way we can be on the same page as we're moving forward in the weeks to come. You see what I'm saying? So I put this in your hand as a tool to take from here and take into your own personal study. Amen? How many will read through the book at least once this week and use this? Okay, good, good, good. I'd like to just make you sign up for it. Amen. 